Sponsored by JMR Rentals. JMRNY.com Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend. I'm Jason Godby and today on the program we're going to be talking about the streaming wars and the state of the entertainment industry. Once again, joining me via Zoom, he is an award-winning producer and a media universe cartographer, making his triumphant return to the show, Mr. Evan Shapiro. Welcome back, Evan. Hi, thanks for having me. So uh, you're, you're, uh, you're coming to us uh, remotely uh, this time, not, not from your usual spot, and I know that you recently were traveling uh, and you talked to some other people about media in other parts of the world. So kind of what have you found out? I think that the, the primary focus of the conversations I'm trying to have this fall and try to spark this fall is around this concept that change is coming, um, which is bunk. Uh, change has already arrived. It arrived actually a number of years ago. Um, my thesis is that the streaming wars ended when everyone else thought they started, that the last era of media was over when Disney launched um, Disney Plus in 2019 and quickly um, garnered 10 million new subscribers. And then within you know, less than 36 months, um, surpassed Netflix uh, on the global stage for a number of worldwide streaming subscriptions. Um, and as we found out in the interim time uh, that um, the whole model that everyone was chasing. So the, the old school media waited too long to get into streaming. And then by the time they did, they simply tried to replicate the success that Netflix had had up until that point, only to find out, you know, less than 24 months later that the success that Netflix um, has been enjoying and boasting about and using to great, create great market valuation for themselves actually wasn't. Um, you know, it was a, it was a, a all but a mirage to a certain extent. Um, and then that forced um, Reed Hastings to uh, hastily um, get into the ad business, um, announcing it on an earnings call, um, having been forced to do so by Wall Street without even warning his own executives in advance. Um, we, we ceded control um, of the media ecosystem to a combination of big tech and the consumer. Um, over the course of about 25 years. And then we woke up one day post-lockdown to find that, one, the lockdown behavior wasn't going to continue ad infinitum, and two, um, the era had already changed, um, that the ecosystem, because of the one-two punch of um, modern uh, media consumers and the big tech companies that serve serve them, super serve them, um, we are now in the user-centric era. And that era arrived a number of years ago. So if you're sitting around waiting for change to come, you're it's already come. It's already here. The change uh, has happened. Um, and if you're simply trying to tweak last era's models, which is what most traditional media players are currently trying to do, um, then you're going to basically um, work yourself out of existence. Um, right now, there was actually a piece uh, today that was published I think it was in the information about um, how, you know, frankly, the big uh, three horsemen of the streaming media apocalypse, Disney, Disco Brothers and Paramount, really have no tricks left to play. 
Um, you've got Iger coming out of retirement to put on a bathrobe and try to sell off pieces of the company on a card table like an old man in a bathrobe in a retirement village. Um, meanwhile, you've got the other major executives in the ecosystem kind of running at fits and, in fits and starts after models on a daily basis. Um, in the meantime, you've got Amazon and Apple and Google and uh, you know NVIDIA and Microsoft reconstituting the lifestyle bundle that the MVPDs first created with the triple play. Um, and we talked about this last year. Um, and you know whether it's Amazon Prime or getting free services with your iPhone or the combination of uh, YouTube, YouTube Premium, YouTube Kids, YouTube Music, YouTube TV, NFL Sunday Ticket, Google TV, these are um, you know masterfully constructed, although not always entirely well run, but masterfully constructed um, multidisciplinary, multi-revenue lever uh, flywheels that offer consumers a new version of the Maslow's hierarchy feeds, a new version of the lifestyle bundle. And so if, if you're there trying to perfect your television business, or in the case, frankly, of Spotify, perfecting your audio business, or frankly, in the, in the case of other gaming companies, you know, your one gaming business, you're missing the larger um, uh, contest at play here, which is the bundle wars. Um, have replaced the streaming wars. Lifestyle bundles are the new products that are going to supply you with the safety and economics that you need to run the business that you need, not the business that you have. Okay, that's a lot to take in. <laughs> um, but like, and then, you know, in the midst of all this, we also had two major industry strikes. Uh, and the actors are, as, as of this recording, they're still on strike, hopefully resolving soon. How do you see that impacting the industry going forward? I think the, the one-two punch of um, the absolute confusion and befuddlement of senior management at Old World Media um, and the complete and utter mismanagement of these strikes by the senior deciders at American media conglomerates um, is a demonstration of a crisis of leadership. The vast majority of these companies are run by old men who came of age during the uh, golden age of television um, and, you know, really did masterfully milk the ecosystem for as much cheese as they possibly could during that time, overcharging the consumers um, for content um, through, the, through the, the, the cable television bundle. Um, and then they, again, as I said, got to streaming too late. Um, and now they're at a loss. They're ill-prepared for the challenges that are sitting in front of them for many different reasons. Most notably, um, there's no one around them with new ideas and there's no one around them with new ideas because they keep hiring versions of themselves as opposed to looking outside the bubble for new ideas, new points of view, uh, new information. Um, you know, the, you, are, you are dramatically, you're almost 60 times more likely to have gone to an Ivy League than the average American college student if you're running a major media company in the United States right now, 60 times more likely than the average American college student. Then you have to recall that 60% um, uh, of the American population doesn't go to college. So think about how out of touch um, these you know, old straight white men are with the um, customers that they're serving. Um, and so the inability to see past the edge of their own desk um, is really what you're seeing. When you see the, the things that were said by the collective negotiating uh, team on the studio side 
um, during the, the writer's strike is just personification of their Marie Antoinette-ness, their out of touchness with the audiences that they have to serve. <laughs> um, and so when they can't imagine new business models, it's, I mean, it's really just not that surprising. It is time to graduate from the class of 1998 and into a new era of leadership. And if we don't, you know, that's fine. Apple and Amazon and uh, Microsoft and Google are perfectly ready, willing, and able to pick up the mantle and take over the platform business worldwide for the rest of us. Um, I think what's crucial to understand is that those big tech death stars aren't here to replace the publishing ecosystem that exists. They actually need it. Yes, they're in competition with the, the old school Hollywood uh, publishers, but at the same time, they're entirely reliant on the content and creatives and ecosystem that Hollywood built in the first place. So it is a much more nuanced set of requirements to succeed and thrive in the user-centric era than in the one that came before, but you have to be prepared to deal with amb ambiguity. You have to be not prepared to make choices that are not binary. You have to be prepared to look beyond your nieces and nephews and fraternity brothers and sorority sisters um, for the answers that are required to uh, solve the puzzles that are sitting on the table in front of you. From a creator standpoint, it's really become like every man for himself kind of thing or every person for themselves. Uh, where we have, you know, people saying, oh, hey, you're not going to represent us. We're going to represent ourselves and we can build our own audience. It does feel like they are at this sort of tipping point or like a, a standstill of like saying, OK, what do we what do we do now? You know, and, and how do we continue to make money in, the, in this environment? The vast majority of that are symptoms of hubris and elitism. Oh, social video. It's beneath us. Um, working in the bottom of the funnel, it's beneath us. Um, and it's wrong. I mean, it's, it just misjudges the marketplace in uh, just a, by a mile. Um, you know, on the one hand, um, social video is not the same thing as premium television. On the other hand, tell that to a consumer under the age of 30. They don't see it that way. Mr. Beast is the biggest star in the world. Tell that to a media buyer who is moving money away from professionally produced you know, short season, long form content and into social video at a pretty rapid clip. Look at the upfront this year. Um, the upfront was down and down is the new up. Um, so money is, has moved from these big ass brand deals made 18 months in advance to a much more buy as you go scatter market based on performance marketing, based on return on marketing investment, based on return on ad spend. Um, that is much more measurable and actionable um, and accurate um, on these social media platforms. Now, at the same time, these social media platforms are rife with fraud. So there is a, still a decent amount of waste there. But just look at the measurement conversation. The MRC, the JIC, what the f*** are we doing? This is, you know, kind of, this is, it's outlandishly moronic watching the fits and starts of the entire ecosystem um, you know, argue with each other over terminology that doesn't mean anything um, um, for the rights to win the next press release, not to ultimately build an enterprise that matters long term. Now, take a beat. 
and think of a case study like Amazon, who had a shitty 2022. They lost $3 billion on their retail business, their core business, because they overinvested in uh, e-commerce infrastructure because they somehow believed, wrongheadedly so, that the shopping behaviors of lockdown were going to continue out of an item. However, simultaneously, they were able to save the company to a certain extent by dint of their cloud business and the fastest growing ad business in the ecosystem. Why? Because they have a multifaceted, non-binary approach to the marketplace. Now, let's take a different um, case study, a more apt case study for traditional old war world crotchety media, the New York Times. I've written about this, I've spoken about this. New York Times was in a death spiral in 2010. They hired an outsider from the BBC who had never run a commercial business before, never had to sell ads, never had to sell subscriptions. And all he did was come in and re-upend the entire family-driven old gray lady print and ink business into a digital, multi-sliced, machine learning-driven, multi-platform lifestyle content bundle built around the original mission. Last year, while all digital media was in the toilet, New York Times had a great year in both subscriptions, revenues, and profits. Um, they're a top three podcaster. They're an important gaming company. They're an important gaming company. They make television for FX and Hulu. So this is a company that retooled itself by rethinking how they make decisions and why they make decisions. They empowered the next generation. Now, Mark Thompson is a straight old white dude, but it also demonstrates that straight old white dudes can make these decisions as well. He, he hired and empowered uh, young 20 and 30 something product managers and thought leaders inside his organizations to make changes to the company and the platform without having to run it up the food chain. Think about saying that to Bob Iger. Think about saying that to David Zaslav. Think about saying that to the leadership in most of these media companies right now. You can hear the sphincters tightening. Um, and so, you know, and that's why after I wrote about Mark Thompson, I think six times this summer, David Zaslav deigned to hire him to run CNN and hopefully save that, that massive enterprise. But you do have to, it's not thinking about outside the box. It's about burning the box and starting with a circle. Um, it's about rethinking everything you thought you knew about your enterprise from the ground up and running the business you have while you build the business you need. Like you were talking about the out of touch part of it and it, and it reflects in the type of media they're producing also. You know, and and the type of stuff that they're creating. Um, now, that's not to say you know we always talk about new media, but old media is still doing things too. Taylor Sheridan has huge hits with like Yellowstone and showing on you know uh, you know it's like your grandpa's network, your grandpa's show. And yeah, but that show that show transcends. I mean, it really does transcend demography and and, and addresses um, psychography, uh, and it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a, it's a cross-generational co-viewing hit. Um, another one I would recommend that does the same thing but on not the same scale um, is Drops of Gods, uh, Drops of the Gods uh, on Apple, um, which again talks about the relationships between multi-generational families um, in you know, you know, transcendent uh, cultures, France and Japan, um, and it's about wine. It should be the most boring show ever, and yet it's um, really inventive and... and and compelling, um, and it's you know it's it's a it's a wonderfully told tale. Um, at the same time, you know it's still just TV. So it isn't necessarily about changing 
how you tell stories. It's about changing who gets to tell them to a certain extent and inviting more people into uh, the inner circle to make those decisions. But then also it's about distributing shows in the way that today's audiences want to consume them. Um, you know, Yellowstone was a massive hit on Paramount. Then it moved over to streaming. Now it's on CBS. You know, there's a really interesting set of circumstances around one piece of intellectual property and using the husk and all um, as a way to continually drive value for the, the, the owner of the intellectual property. Um, you know, on the other hand, it's, it's really crucial to look at something like Barbie, which was the biggest hit in Warner Brothers, um, you know, history. And frankly, I think the, the, the highest person comedy of all time. Um, and I mean, it's about Barbie, which is older than I am. So it, it isn't necessarily only about finding new stories to tell. I think it is about that. And it's about, you know, crucially Greta Gerwig, a female director, um, was given the opportunity to produce this massive film and has turned it into the highest grossing comedy of all time um, by a lot. Um, it's also about figuring out ways to go to market and finding new partners to bring into the tent and upending, I mean, giving the freedom to that star and that filmmaker to make a story that I don't think anybody anticipated working the way that it did. I can't imagine anyone did, least of all uh, Disco Brothers. Um, and so there was a certain amount of courage that Warner Brothers demonstrated and Mattel demonstrated in handing the reins to this feminist, you know, admittedly feminist uh, filmmaker to make inarguably a feminist movie uh, about an iconic doll whose feet don't touch the ground. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that is a great case study, but until that point, the biggest hit in, at Warner Brothers of the last three years was a game, not a movie, Harry Potter. Um, and so that also demonstrates, you know, it isn't a, enough to just make movies and televisions, television anymore. It's not enough to do the one thing you've always done, the one way you've always done it. You have to burn the box. So we talked about Amazon a bit. Give me like maybe either like a report card or a diagnosis or a, a prognosis for, uh, for the following. All right. First up, we got the OG Netflix. They're doing quite well from their television product standpoint, but it's the only product they have. They're failing horribly with their ad product. Just, it's an abysmal, dead on arrival, non-entity. They launched it poorly. Um, they're running it poorly. They just got rid of their head of ad sales and most of their senior business affairs team. Um, and so I think, you know, overall they'll probably get a B minus. Um, but on the kind of premium streaming end of it, they're probably an A. On the ad tier, they're probably an F. And on their overall vision of where they're headed as a company, uh, you know, and yeah, again, I would probably say a B minus, maybe a C plus. What about the Disney bundle? What about Disney, Hulu, and ESPN? To me, the strategy for entertainment at Disney is akin to the weather in Florida. If you don't like it, wait 15 minutes, it'll change. Um, so I just, it's hard to pin them down, which is, I think why Norman Peltz is attacking them again, uh, all of a sudden to take over board seats there. Um, I, 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 I frankly don't get it. Um, I think the biggest lesson from, uh, Bob Iger's second administration is stay retired. Um, I, I don't think he has a good clue of what the market needs right now. 
Um, notably, it's important to understand that Bob Iger made his bones buying shit, and now he's trying to sell shit. Those are two different. That's like a picture trying to hit. There's only one player I know of who can do that. Um, and so, um, you know, I think, you know, at the end of the day, and, and, and frankly, their content isn't as good as it used to be either. Um, their last couple of superhero movies have really missed the boat. Um, you know, I can't remember the last, I will watch Loki, um, that just came out this week, but I also don't remember the last time I touched their service, frankly. Um, they were never going to sell Hulu. I don't know why he lied about it. I don't understand what they're doing with ESPN. I don't understand what they're doing with ABC. It's, it's a pendulum swing at best, and it's a kind of bipolar experiment on the other. So I would say, you know, as a, as a set of intellectual property, they're an A+. But given the amount of intellectual property and legacy advantage they have, their current strategy is, I would say, at best, a C-, and, you know, very quickly approaching a D. I mean, they're, they're, there is Moffat Nathan, Nathanson. Um, valued the parks department, the parks division of Disney at $71 billion. The entire enterprise, it's, or it's uh, $71 a share. Um, their entire enterprise is only worth $80 a share right now. I, like they are the most undervalued stock given the legacy advantage they have. So I'm just, I'm greatly, they were one of the old school media companies that I was going to bet on long term. And I have um, with my own money. <laughs> And so, you know, and, and full disclosure, I am a shareholder, not a very big one, tiny, 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 teeny one. Um, but I just think that there are mess. Okay. What about uh, Paramount Plus just uh, incorporated Showtime? You know, Paramount gets a huge advantage of renaming in the opposite direction with the opposite effect as uh, Max did. So I think there's, there's a, a slight win there. I think their big win is Pluto. Um, they took a big leap at the derision of most of the industry, including myself, by the way, in buying Pluto for a pretty astronomical amount of money, and it's paying off in absolute droves. Um, and so I think that the Pluto experiment is working way better than anyone thought it ever would. Um, my big criticism of them, which is the criticism of the entire industry, and I've written about this, is their inability to take down the garden walls between their properties. You know, they took down Showtime. <laughs> Uh, and put it on Paramount Plus, but now they call it Paramount Plus with Showtime, which is the most inelegantly described product in the history of entertainment. Um, but my my major issue is their lack of cohesiveness between what is, you know, inarguably one of the best free television products out there, Pluto, and a pretty decent pay product in Paramount Plus. Why not turn them into the same product, into the same app? into the same experience so that when someone turns from Paramount, which is going to happen to every pay streaming service in the ecosystem, churn is up 28% year on year as of July, 28%. Um, you know, we're, the SVOD ecosystem is signing up tens and tens of millions of new subscribers every quarter and losing tens and tens and millions of new subscribers every, every quarter. This is not a sustainable model. However, if somebody churns out of or decides to stop paying for Paramount Plus, why not keep them in the ecosystem on Pluto so that you can continue to remarket for them and they never have to log off their subscription so you can continue to send them push notifications and market to them for when that binge, when Yellowstone comes back um, to, to Paramount Plus, when Star Trek um, or Picard comes back to Paramount Plus. So I would give them overall a B. Um, I think they would be an A and I think they would be in substantially better shape overall from an advertising and subscription product basis if if they mash together all their streaming services into one elegant product, which is exactly what the consumer wants. What about Apple TV? 
all they do is produce hits. Like it's really, their hit rate is pretty astronomical. I just mentioned um, Drops of the Gods. Um, Severance is amazing. So they're incredibly good at producing television, which is not something I thought I would ever say. Um, secondarily, their sports strategy seems to be the, seems to be one of the better in the business. Um, the messy deal to me, while, while most of the studio bigwig um, um, uh, lost children were out there yelling at their writers and not understanding how to negotiate a new deal with the writers and still can't negotiate a new, new deal with actors, um, they went and Apple went out and made a deal with Messi that is the new model. Align the financial interests of your talent up and down the food chain with the financial long-term interests of the company. Um, you don't have to do it at the scale that Messi is, so a writer gets a substantially lower deal, but is incentivized the same way the executives are for success. If the show does well, we all do well. Um, and so I, you know, I would never bet against Tim Cook and Apple. I think he's one of the best CEOs in, in the marketplace. And he's not straight, but he is an old white dude. So it does prove again that you can do things well. My big criticism of them is their lack of uh, movement around the Apple One product to create a true competitor um, or a cohort for Amazon Prime. I think they still have a very long way to go. Um, and I don't understand what's taking them so long, frankly. Um, and so I would give them probably a B plus or an A minus. If they can turn Apple One into the new Prime, they're an A plus um, plus. But you know, Amazon, who I think has a lot of programming issues, um, I don't think that their content is nearly good on a pound for pound basis as Apple's, but also has a stupendous sports business. And, and, you know, the football, uh, that was, you know, just a very smart one. They're also the fastest growing ad platform on the planet earth. So I would give Amazon because I didn't give them a grade earlier. I would give them the same, you know, B plus a minus. And again, if they can figure out how to fold Twitch, into their into their mainstay uh, uh, product to figure out how to make music a real viable player in the market system, they would be an A plus plus as well. Those are the two companies, along with Google, that I would say are probably the three most likely to be permanent fixtures um, in the entertainment uh, platform ecosystem. What about Peacock? It's hard. They're, they that is a that is a that is a black box to me. To be honest with you, we don't really know how well they're doing. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever watched a piece of programming. Oh, that's not true. I watched Poker Face, which is really good. Um, yeah, I just, I don't, I can't say I get it. <laughs> I don't, I think it's, uh, this is this is a cop-out, but I think it's an incomplete. Um, I think Comcast has a right to win. Um, you know, their new Zumo product, I think, is, is smart. It's imperfect, but it's, you know, V1, um, and they'll have a V2 and a V3 and a V4. Um, they, they control, along with Charter, who they work in tandem with, they're in a joint venture with Zumo, they control 70 million, 65, 70 million broadband homes in the United States. Try to run a, a, a viable entertainment business in the modern era without them. You, you can't. Um, and so, because the most valuable consumers on the planet Earth are in that footprint. Um, so I think, you know, the Zumo experiment is, is, is on its way. Um, I think I, it's hard for me to understand. I don't, I just don't understand how well Peacock is doing. Um, I don't understand necessarily the strategy. It doesn't mean it's wrong. I just, I'm not sure I get it. I also don't know who's running it these days. It's very difficult to tell. It seems like they have a musical chair game going on with, um, 
with the leadership on that product. Um, and so, you know, and, and, then, and then you have to, you can't not mention the fact that every six months they have a major sexual harassment scandal. Every six months, every six months, every six months. What is it? What's going on there? Who's in charge? You have to look to Brian Roberts for that. So generally speaking, I would give them an incomplete. Finally, we've got Max. We talked a little bit about Disco Brothers. I gave him a lot of shit at the time, and I still think it was a terrible idea. HBO has you know, got billions of dollars worth of goodwill in the marketplace. I don't know why you would squash it like a bug. Um, but I do believe that the idea of um, uh, prioritizing the, the discovery scripts content on the platform um, long-term is probably going to be a good move. Um, they lost 2 million subscribers in the transition from uh, HBO Max to Max, but I, I think you know ultimately they were gonna lose those 2 million subscribers anyway. So I don't think it was necessarily going to be, um, going to be, um, you know, uh, uh, I don't think it was as big a loss as, as some, including myself, made it out to be. On the other hand, um, boy, their leadership is just all over the place. Um, the way they handled CNN and Chris Licht was just embarrassing. It was a case study in what not to do. Um, you know, I don't, I don't understand their strategy. Again, you know, they, they're, they're, they're pendulum swinging between models on a regular basis. Um, their entire fast strategy is to license content to other people, which is fine for this quarter, but is not great long term. Like the fact that I can turn on uh, Netflix and see a shit ton of HBO content, I don't think is good for them long term. And I don't think it's that great for Netflix either, paying an arm and leg for it. So I think it's a kind of loss loss. Um, that said, again, I, I'm kind of contradicting myself. After I wrote about how they should bring CNN into the streaming polls on Max, they did. After I wrote about moving sports more to the center of what they're doing on, uh, on Max, they did. Um, after I said, hire Mark Thompson, they did. So someone over there is listening to me. <laughs> and if you want to listen to me, you can read my War and Peace, uh, Media War and Peace newsletter. Uh, just Google my name and Media War and Peace and you'll find it. Um, and you can read what David Zaslov is clearly reading every morning when he takes a shit because he's making a lot of the decisions that I tell him to make. So the fact that they are listening to me makes me want to grade them better. Um, I do think uh, Zaslov personifies the time to retire that's necessary in the uh, septuagenarian C-suite ecosystem. I think it's time to hand those reins off to someone else. I also think that by this time next year, they'll be owned by someone new. Um, so I'll give them... I'll give them surprisingly a, 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 a B minus overall. Um, I think that um, they've they they've they made a lot of bad moves very quickly. I also think they're making some much more intelligent moves in the last um, you know six months to to three months. I also don't think it's going to matter because they're going to sell you know in probably second or third quarter. You mentioned your Substack, your newsletter. Um, where else can people find you on the web if they want to uh, follow you? So the newsletter is Media War and Peace. You can search it, um, my name. Um, but then I would say LinkedIn is the only other place I'm, I'm off. Uh, I'm off the shitstorm that is Twitter. So um, you know, LinkedIn and my Substack are the two places. And that's all we got for you today. Thanks so much for taking this trip down the rabbit hole. For more of our content, including our movie reviews, visit our website, norestfortheweekendpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, youtube.com slash getbehindtherabbit. I'd like to thank my guest, Evan Shapiro, and our sponsor, JMR Rentals for Behind the Rabbit Productions. I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.